Hi guys, my name is Eva and I'm the founder and the host of the Baltic Startup Mafia podcast. This is the second special episode of the podcast that is dedicated to the hackathon movement that started during COVID-19 crisis in Estonia and went global. And this time you have an opportunity to hear a story from the winner of the first ever hackathon that happened online. Here is an interview with Lauri Sok. He and his team formed and uh, started to work while returning from skiing holidays. Lauri experienced the whole beauty of closing borders, staying in quarantine and winning the hackathon. What else is interesting about him? He used to organize hackathons himself, but never had time to participate in one. Lauri is also organizer behind Startup Day Tartu, one of the biggest events on Baltic startup scene. And he has been ahead of Smart City Tartu project. We tried to cover as much as possible in uh, 30 minutes, so I really hope you will enjoy our conversation. So um, you have pretty interesting story about uh, the team, the idea... Um, when uh, you decided to take part in the hackathon can you share it yeah so we were actually uh, uh a group of friends of friends of ours we were um we were supposed to go to a skiing holiday about in the beginning of march and uh originally we were supposed to go to italy uh but unfortunately what happened there gave us some kind of um warning signs that uh this place, especially in Northern Italy, is something that we should be avoiding. So about three or four days before uh, the departure to our holiday, we decided that it's safer for us to take a car and drive straight to Austria. And at that time, Austria had only, I don't know, a couple of corona cases. And we thought that, okay, this is pretty safe thing to do. So we drove to, uh, instead of flying, we drove to Austria, had a pretty nice skiing holiday in the Alps and um, about two days before the departure uh, when we actually were supposed to go back to Estonia we uh, we had a gut feeling that something is uh, going to be pretty bad and uh, and also at the same time Austria already declared themselves together with uh, WHO to be the high risk uh, area in the Europe and uh, then we basically what we did was that we threw everything we had into our car and started driving directly towards uh, Estonia and we knew already that some port borders are being monitored uh, and we were somewhere between Germany and Austria when we uh, had a discussion with our friends that like okay this thing what's going on it's pretty devastating but it's also devastating for economy and as some of our friends uh, in our team are uh, restaurant entrepreneurs and hotel entrepreneurs and uh, I'm also working in the event uh, management industry then uh, we were like really worried what's going to happen with our employees that we're hiring and uh, where we get the turnover for the business because we don't want to lose the people that we have and on the other side there were some people who were working for pretty big manufacturing companies uh, who said that shit it's the best time for us to hire because uh, we are in a deep demand of food products and whatsoever so we had this discussion and then uh, the austrian german border came we were uh, we were inspected uh, because we were were a big group of people and then uh, i got a link from garage 48 that they're organizing a first crisis ever hackathon online hackathon and one of my friends from startup date 
sent me the link and said like, hey, you have time <laughs> to participate in a hackathon. Why don't you participate? And then I uh, pitched this to my friends and said like, hey, we have 27 hours to go. Let's just do something. So our our idea was basically five minutes before discussed. And this was the same idea that we uh, su submitted to the hackathon. And then we kind of like drove towards Estonia. Every border behind us was uh, closed down. Uh, I mean, uh, like literally the time window frames of us getting inside to the next country, either it was Poland or Lithuania or Latvia or Estonia, they were pretty narrow. So we were rushing on the top of the wave. And we kind of like started doing our prototype for the hackathon as well. And uh, then uh, after arriving to Estonia, we were uh, obligated to go to quarantine, uh, all of us together, uh, because we came from a high risk uh, region so we continued doing the uh the prototype and uh, and uh, as it was like a 48 hour hackathon then uh, during that time we finished our uh product version number one which was a simple web page we managed to find four or five companies on the demand side who's offering the workforce uh temporary and also found some companies some gas uh, change uh, in Estonia who were looking really eagerly for temporary workforce. And then the first thing what we did during the 48 hours was that besides that some guys were already working on the streets during the hackathon, so we validated the market pretty quickly, uh, we managed to work out some uh, really uh, important assets of ours, what are the legal contracts between those two companies. As this is a different type of uh, work relationship, you're basically buying a service from another company and uh, you're not hiring new people, then this was, we needed to kind of implement this really quickly in our law system as well. So this was uh, pretty much it, what we did in 48 hours. Uh, we won the hackathon. We uh, won some uh, Bolt special prize as well. And uh, for us, it was in the 48 hours for us, it was just a nice way to, uh, participate in somehow but uh when we woke up next morning uh we understood this this thing is uh actually deeper than we thought of and we started really quickly innovating more and uh collaborating more companies but also one thing what was what is important about this idea or this uh, project is that you have to get on board every governmental institution uh, that you have in Estonia. So we did that in uh, in uh, in a matter of days. We uh, onboarded the unemployment fund. Uh, we onboarded some ministries. Uh, we onboarded uh, labor union uh, uh, organizations that are really important in these situations, and onboarded also uh, a law firm, uh, Rask uh, law attorneys at law, who are like. Although we have lawyers in our team, they had a second opinion about some things, and together we could uh, like do this thing. And what happened from there on was uh, was a pretty big waterfall uh, in terms of publicity. So we reached every kind of media uh, that you can possibly reach. Probably, uh, we were even together with Garage Four Eight mentioned in Forbes, uh, in New Yorker, in some uh, other French and German. Uh, 
I don't know, media sites, uh, the whole social media was, and so this gave us a pretty good edge to get the attention. And, uh, and this made us to get more companies to our supply chain. And we understood that product version number one we had that was built in 48 hours isn't enough for that. So we quickly in two days more, we took another 48 hours, uh, built ourselves as product version number two that's uh, already available uh, for use right now and that we're using. And this is more advanced in terms of uh, our customer service side as well. Uh, everything's automated uh, and every inquiry reaches to our database. So it was a pretty fast paced thing. And we were like expecting a lot of, lot of, uh, I would say, uh, inquiries and like job offers and job suppliers. But at the same time, we launched our product version number two. Uh, the government declared that they are gonna give you give the employers a rescue package. A lot of companies whose turnover has been reduced, if they reduce their salaries by 30% and also if they reduce some other things there, then they would get some kind of money from back from the government. And this made it different from our perspective because now all the entrepreneurs stand still because if you lend out your employer, you wouldn't get the money. So everyone were like stand still. And uh, this uh, made us think more about the product itself. And then we understood that this temporary thing is a nice thought about crisis and it will definitely, we already have some example cases where it gets, gets you the relief, but the actual problem is not during the humanitarian crisis as we have like uh, people dying and uh, getting sick. The real hustle or the problem starts off when we uh, reach into the economic crisis, when there will be a lot of collective layoffs. And then we even went or dug into deeper into what if the crisis ends, even the economic crisis, what will happen then? And is there this kind of product on the market? Uh, and then we understood that if we're thinking about two months before what we had in an economic uh, situation, then it was pretty typical that uh, a new company startup uh, who's scaling to other countries, they're in a deep need of uh, a lot of workforce. and. Uh, Usually, uh, human resource people in their companies are doing this kind of investigation, but this is pretty inefficient in a way. So during the non-crisis period, we understood that this is something that we can help a lot of B2B moving between companies or from uh, consumer to business. And also what we understood that during the non-crisis period, there are a lot of uh, situations where you are desperately in a need of just temporary workforce. I would say, I don't know, concerts. Uh, we had Metallica in Tartu last last uh, summer. This meant a couple thousand people temporarily uh, for site building. And you can get those people probably from companies that are in collective uh, summer vacations, like manufacturing companies whatsoever. So it's a, it's a pretty interesting aspect. So it grew out from the crisis, but we already see that there are like so many things to uh focus on and uh although a lot of us are entrepreneurs or uh, been in a in an active business environment for uh for years uh we never thought of we end up uh, doing a startup just last week we uh submitted our uh ideas to a couple of accelerators as well and uh 
it was nice to do that uh, uh, the first slide of our pitch deck was that we are a 15-day-old startup, which is a remarkable thing uh, in in a sense. So yeah, it was uh, it was a wild story. Uh, what your product is about right now? We're kind of focusing right now only on the crisis uh, on the crisis time frame. So uh, we're looking really quick help for the companies that are in need of temporary workforce, such as e-commerce stores, uh, I don't know, delivery companies, um, even in some cases, uh, our governmental sector who are in deep need of some uh, temporary workforce uh, and. We're providing them uh, with workforce that is available right now. Either it comes from uh, the seizure of the company that they're just being right now seized and they need some money. So, for example, hotels or restaurants, they can give you give you the uh, give you the workforce. But also, what we're preparing for the collective layoffs because this means a lot of bunch of people will be unemployed which is the worst case but uh hopefully we can do the transfer together with the unemployment fund quicker than uh, the employee should be without money uh whatsoever but th- yeah this is the focus right now uh what we do right now as well more in a in a international wide sense is that after the crisis we even though we got the attention from Estonia, uh, we got the attention abroad as well. And even doing a podcast with you right now means that there's an international interest about it. But uh, we're exploring Germany a lot right now together with our partners. And uh, uh, and just the beginning of this week, even uh, had some interest from Latin American countries. So this is right now what we have is pretty simple service design idea, but we already understood and uh, thinking of building the product version number three, which gets us more automated and more focused on uh, on the on those two clients. So yeah, have you already used the mentorship from Bolt? Yeah, Bolt uh, was one of the special prizes of, uh, of winning the first uh, hackathon. Uh, and uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, back and forth emails uh, with the uh, CEO of uh, Bolt and also some uh, some of his team members. So it's an ongoing process right now. And they gave us some questions that uh, we didn't think of or and uh, we were supposed to answer them. So it, it was a good... Uh, input but it's still ongoing so uh yeah I was, i'm just uh, wondering uh, you have this um, very successful skype case uh, where a lot of new companies were born and this is again somehow proving that uh, some uh, really successful startups uh, can actually give back to the community and and uh, and help to to bring on new startups so how do you experience that do you see it as a as a good opportunity i mean like estonia is, has always been so small community in a sense we regarding the population it's only 1.3 million but regarding startup ecosystem it has always been a really close uh, group of people or group of friends this kind of mentorships this has been going on before and will be going on after the crisis as well and it's pretty usual that if you're building something new and you don't have the experience in it but you're um, you're a guy who's willing and uh, ready to do it then uh, 
the older founders or the more experienced founders will give you the shortcuts of their experiences to avoid the mistakes that they did during the process. So we even uh, we conducted with Shareforce One our slide deck or a pitch deck, and then uh, I made the slide deck like any other slide deck, uh, and I know that you only have to have one sentence per slide, which is like a golden rule because that tension span is uh, short. But still, uh, we wanted some kind of uh, second opinion. So we uh, sent uh, our slide tech to the CEO of Fractory. And Fractory is one of the uh, highlight startups of our ecosystem right now. And uh, the CEO of uh, Fractory is a good friend of mine. And he, I was like thinking that he has some comments about our slide tech. But he basically bulleted into million of holes saying that your slide tech is a bullshit slide tech. You should do this way. But it wasn't like he wanted to be critical against us. It was because he had the same experiences throughout the past three years. So we kind of made a shortcut out of it. So uh, this is how it works in Estonia, at least in our ecosystem. A lot of, and mostly people know each other, uh, which is a good thing. You are also have been connected with the, with the startup ecosystem, right? You have been organizing Startup Day in Tartu. When you look back at this time uh, what what are your feelings this um, event was is, is quite uh, quite big now and also well recognized in the region yeah it's startup days uh, yeah i've been i just told to someone else that uh, that i've been organizing hackathons and all the startup events for the past five years or something but i've never participated in one of those so it was it was my first time this time uh, with the garage for the hackathon but Startup Day is uh, an interesting story. It started off this way that there was one uh, professor from University of Tartu uh, who had the idea of uh, doing a conducted event of different events, side events, because there were like a lot of entrepreneurial organizations in Tartu who were organizing their their events and he had the simple idea that hey maybe we should do one event together and uh, at that at that time when he pitched the idea to me uh, I was uh, graduating uh, my master's in University of Tartu and I was his student actually and uh, he said to me that hey do you want to do a, a small event because I have I have had my event management agency now for six years uh, so I was just like I was doing events already and I said like, okay, it sounds good. Good salary, seems pretty easy event. And the pitch was like, it's one keynote speaker, uh, 300 people and a couple of workshops. And I was like, okay, this is super simple. I will do it. It's the easiest money I've ever got. When we started working with Startup Day, this was the initial plan to do a 300 event people event. But uh, when we started building this thing up, then uh, suddenly we had a vision that this might be the biggest startup event in the Baltic states. And um, I remember that in uh, probably six months or seven months before the first startup day, I made an advertisement saying that startup day is the biggest uh, startup event in the Baltics. Although there has been Latitude 59 in Tallinn running for 10 years uh, with the number of 2,000 people or visitors. There was one event in Lithuania, uh, some events in Latvia, and I came there. I was at that time 23 years old. Uh, and I came there and I was like, 
we will be the biggest. So it was like we were the biggest douchebags ever saying that uh, we will do the biggest thing. But this kind of uh, uh, fear of missing out mentality for all the people in Tartu and across Estonia and uh, Baltics and Finland and Sweden kind of worked. And uh, one week before they went, we had to close down our uh, sales because uh, we exceeded three and a half thousand people, which was the limit for Estonian National Museum, which was our first venue. So we automatically were the biggest startup event in the first year. Uh, three and a half thousand people, uh, 60 something speakers, uh, tens of workshops, uh, three different stages. Uh, the budget was, I don't know, quarter of a million euros, something like that. And it all grew from a really simple vision. So me, together with the professor of uh, University of Tartu, we kind of built up the vision. And uh, right now, this year, it was the fourth time Startup Day took place, almost 5,000 people now. Definitely not anymore competing in the Baltic scene, more competing with uh, the Nordic scene. And uh, our strategical decision is that we don't grow over 5,000 uh, people because... Uh, the quality right now is the highest. Although I was the, like the co one of the co-founders of Startup Day and the first head organizer of Startup Day, I've been with the event since then. Uh, not that the head organizing role anymore, uh, but uh, being on the strategical side, being on the production side. So uh, I'm living with the event, and it's good to memorize that what happened five years ago it was fun times uh, a lot of doors were open for me after that it was a huge experience but i was scared to shit as well this is also one thing uh what, what i remember for there because you're a 23 or year old guy you could screw basically everything what you can and what you have in your life so we i had pretty high risks at that time and uh, you are uh, also now, well, basically until crisis, uh, have been working in the event industry. Uh, how do you see how it will change? Uh, because we have really experiencing a lot those virtual things now. We have an opportunity to really test them. Um, what are your predictions? How, how do you see it uh, evolving? Just in the beginning of this year, uh, uh, my event management agency joined with the biggest and the best creative agency called Velvet in Estonia. So uh, uh, we now we were in the beginning of the year. We launched a new brand called Velvet Live, which is uh, is one of my companies right now. We had big plans, but now when the crisis came, we understood that <laughs> there will be no events for a long time. Our prediction or like our strategy was to seize everything for a moment. What's surprising for us is that uh, we didn't get any cancellations for the events. Every, every, every event was postponed. So, uh, and uh, what's even more surprising is that we get more inquiries in right now because now people have time to work with the things. One strategic decision that we've made was that we're not really moving towards the digital, virtual event kind of thing. If the client asks that, we have all the possibilities, but this is not a product that we're kind of selling because our our idea of or our kind of like uh, vision about live industries that you feel it with your heart, you feel it with your soul, you feel it with 
the smell that you're smelling with the sounds that you hear with the noise that's coming from there so this is this is something that i believe that the virtual thing give you over and i'm pretty skeptical about all those um virtual party things i think people are so filled up with online meetings so one thing they want to do during the vacant time they have in their quarantined homes right now is uh is to lay on a couch and uh, i don't know read a book or something because you're always on the screen so this is something that we kind of yeah uh, we don't see that it's it will be a huge trend but uh, I don't know. Some are doing it, and it might work. And for some companies, it work. We are not right now focusing on that. What happens after the crisis? I believe that the event marketing uh, industry will uh, have its uh, declining influence because uh, a lot of companies, in their business-wise way, will cut their costs a lot. Event marketing industry is one of the first uh, industries in the world that show that economics is running uh, on a downside, not on the upside. And uh, we will see it as well. There will be probably some some companies will disappear from the market. Some stronger ones will remain. Hopefully we will remain as well. But yeah, I think there will be a decline. But you have been close to technologies as well. Um, You have been head of smart city Tartu. Right. Can you share a bit um, your experience? Uh, what does uh, head of smart city do? <laughs> yeah, uh, I was yeah, I was just until the last end of last year. I was uh, for two years running the smart city Tartu, um, I don't know, department initiative, whatever you call it. And smart city Tartu is like I'm always making a joke that I'm uh, our mayor is this mayor of uh, stupid Tartu and then uh, I'm I'm the mayor of smart Tartu but but actually uh, head of smart city Tartu is doing uh, is doing a lot on a side of uh, in a sense of visionary so uh, why Tartu needed it was a brand new position even I think there. There isn't a city in Estonia that has a head of smart city. And Tartu now doesn't have this as well right now for a moment. The idea came actually from the mayor and, and deputy mayor as well. As as they saw both that uh, we were doing in Tartu so much digitally, but the whole system wasn't really systemized or like uh, it hadn't didn't have any kind of strategic way how to approach this. And uh, when I came in, my role was initially to create the vision, vision strategy for Smart City Tartu. And I did it. So um, I was focusing on, uh, on the, all the issues that need some kind of uh, improvement in a city life. And uh, I, I made a lot of interviews with different segments uh, and the representative of the segments i understood what are the main problems in economy what's the main problems in environment in living in uh, people's minds kind of made um, a system or a, or a like tool for uh, city government officials uh, including mayor and deputy mayors to run and understand what are the prioritized projects right now that we have to do and somehow somehow if a new project comes in we know that this is more important than the other project and uh, during the time i was doing this i kind of we understood already that smart city tartu is a business toolkit for cities a lot of business initiatives a lot of business deals for companies of tartu and for the region and for the city 
comes through a smart city channels. And uh, what I did there was uh, uh, we created a narrative and also a brand for smart city Dartu, which is mainly used during the business relationships, but also used during uh, for the citizens as well when we want to emphasize that this was made uh, by using those methodologies uh, because uh, we kind of uh, agreed upon ourselves that Tartu, when they're making a decision, if we take one hour, it's an Einstein quote, uh, if you take one hour, then uh, 55 minutes, you should understand the problem itself and only five minutes deal with the implementations or like focus on developing the technology. And I said to this, or this was our like uh, contract between each other that we are doing the same thing because Previously, a lot of our project managers in the city, they were pretty quickly starting to jump into conclusions instead of understanding the problem. And this was one thing that we agreed upon. And uh, then also what we agreed upon was uh, data usage. So every decision that we made in the city should have been based on data, not on a gut feeling or on a neighbor's uh, experience. It should have been based on our, our experience. And the first thing that we agreed upon was always uh, the citizen opinion. So if we offer something, this should be always validated by the target citizen group. So uh, this narrative was built on those piles and uh, we were sharing this narrative to the business environment, to the partnerships, but also to the citizens. So when we last year launched uh, the public bicycle network, the electrical bicycle network which was which is still the biggest in the baltic states uh, more than 800 bicycles and 70 stops and that kind of thing then we introduced this as a smart city project so i was like kind of moving from the vision side more towards the, the marketing and sales side and uh, eventually i was kind of the spokesperson for the whole smart city side thing until that time it was super interesting uh I'm really sad that I don't work as a head of Smart City anymore, uh, but at some point I had to choose between my own company and uh, and the work as a public administrator. And uh, because like you have only 24 hours in your day, so you have to choose something. And I decided that I will, I will work a bit with my own company and I always can go back and help uh, city government as well. But, but yeah, it... It lasted for three months, so uh, so right now uh, I'm more uh, in a business way focusing on the design and uh, digital side in Velvet, and uh, the event side is ceased for a moment. And also, Shareforce One is now something that uh, that has keep us up during the day. So uh, it has been pretty rough weeks. What do you think if if a city has experience with this uh, smart things and and the smart approach, uh, smart processes, um, uh, work with data? Is it easier for them to deal with this crisis? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think there's like millions of examples how technology has helped us during the crisis. I don't know if you compare it even the this humanitarian crisis to Spanish flu or whatever that we have any kind of pandemias over the years. I think the technology has gave us given us like a lot of lot of ages uh, for solving this kind of crisis. I mean, like even I don't know 
Tesla reorienting their factories from car producing to producing uh, the oxygen uh, mechanisms and uh, and some Estonian companies we already see. I yesterday saw a alcohol producing company that produces ciders, I think, or punch drinks, uh, that they are now uh, producing the cleaning chemicals uh, for the state and so on. So like pivoting really quickly and adjust with uh, what's going on. And also like all the the technologies that we have built up in Estonia, I think like uh, the Estonian that all 99% of our uh, services have been digitalized this gives us like huge advantage of working home and doing the remote work because you don't have to move any, anywhere. You can sign everything. You can order, submit your unemployment or whatever. What are the cases? You can do it online. And this already shows that technology has the edge. But also moving from uh, moving from uh, this like e-service thing to data, we are... Like our scientists are using and want to more you use more of all the mobile positioning because this shows us really well where the people move during the crisis period. Are they going from the cities to uh, their country houses, which is actually a fact in Estonia, uh, and then spreading the diseases to the uh, countryside and so on. And uh, basically, if uh, we have GDPR in uh, in the European Union, but even you can like forecast uh which are the regions where a diseased person spread the virus so so on from there and all the all the other fun stuff uh, estonian police is using drones to spread the message uh on the streets that uh, stay home uh, don't go out wash your hands all that kind of stuff so it i think definitely technology is doing the thing more importantly we have to focus on data as well because this gives us the actual numbers what's uh, happening in uh, in the uh, in the country right now the last question about your personal feeling uh, right now you have experienced you have been very close to all this closing stuff you were uh, driving back you saw borders really closing like we we saw this in tv you experienced that really and then you i believe you had a time to to um, think of it uh, think of your experience what do you feel um about this whole situation uh, as as a human being mm-hmm. it's like um we just discussed with our share force one game this that uh, first week was pretty i would say interesting it was a different situation. You followed the news a lot, and it was kind of like romantic a bit. Like uh, you were like, "Okay, this is something different." The world is like adjusting to it. The second week, when we stayed in quarantine as well, was pretty terrifying. Especially the first deaths of uh, in Estonia and those uh, epicenters in Sarema, which is the largest island in. Uh, uh in estonia where we have like a lot of lot of cases then it became a really terrifying and now like the third or the fourth week already you're kind of like tired already you're like okay this has to end already it's it's super unhuman thing what's happening right now uh you're staying home you're not moving you're moving 200 steps in a day or whatever you're sitting behind screen it's not normal anymore and you're like kind of hoping already that this bad dream uh ends personally i think uh we've been really uh following the 
WHO and uh, our government's uh, directions what to do. So uh, when we came from Austria, we stayed home. We didn't meet anyone. The food was delivered from to us by uh, some relatives uh, who were healthy. They left the food behind our terrace. We took it over, washed everything. Uh, so we were following this thing really good. And now anytime we're meeting with some of our friends or something, adding basically a new person to our ecosystem uh, of our quarantine team, uh, we kind of like do a lot of screening to him, which is pretty unusual. You're like uh, some kind of agent to your friend, but you're saying like, who did you meet? Where did you meet? Whatsoever. Did you have any complications in the past three, four days? So you have to kind of understand where this person comes from. We haven't really spread or like enlarged our uh our network of people that we're meeting. So basically, for the past four or five weeks, only persons that I've seen are the friends that we went to skiing with. So it's a uh, pretty weird situation. And uh, you get closer with those people, which is a good thing always. Uh, but on the other side, you have other people uh, that you're uh, missing out a bit. And as our work also in Velvet, moved into uh, remote work, then uh, one thing I noticed is that we're working more. So you're more effective in home. Uh, a lot of more meetings, a lot of uh, stuff done during the process. And uh, it, it's kind of, I think after a couple of months, people are getting really exhausted about it. So uh, one thing fortunately is good that the summer is coming. So hopefully people get rested after that. Thank you, Laura. It was really interesting to talk to you, and uh, I really hope that your project will 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 uh, go live and, and stay and and um, grow internationally, and and um, you will have a good success. Sure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. In previous episodes, you can also find interviews with online hackathon participants from Latvia and Lithuania. But I'll be back soon with the newest and the coolest stories from the startup scene of all Baltic countries. Stay tuned, follow the podcast on Facebook and LinkedIn. Stay healthy and stay at home. Talk to you soon. My name is Eva and I'm the founder and the host of the podcast Baltic Startup Mafia.